Welcome to Sandwiched. I'm Jennifer. I'm a retired teacher taking care of my 95-year-old father. And I'm Sue, and I'm just tired taking care of my 91-year-old mother with Alzheimer's. We're just two of the over 53 million Americans caring for their elderly parents. And if you're one of them too, tune in to laugh and cry and everything in between. Each week, we'll have special guests and professionals who give their advice about geriatric care, as well as their own stories about their elderly loved ones. Let's talk about how we met. Let's. We met when you were my teenage son's high school English teacher. Yes, I was. I was teaching full-time at a Blue Ribbon High School while preparing my own teenage children to get ready for college. You were sending them off to college, and I was trying to keep my two adopted kids out of the criminal justice system. But that's another podcast for another time. And never did we think that when our own kids left the nest, our next mission was to dramatically change our lives by making the choice to live with our elderly parent. And now that we are, we're living in an environment that constantly reminds us, welcome to Oldsville, grab a shawl. Hey, that makes us officially part of the sandwiched generation. Yes, it does. But the issue that I have is I'm seeing my mom as she is and not as she was. Uh, My mom was one of a kind. She was the only child born in a hospital. Uh, They lived in a very small town in the Midwest. Uh, Her family lost the farm. Uh, to foreclosure. This was during the Depression, and they had to move into town. And yet, she was in the Iowa State finalist for spelling when she was 10. She was the first in her family to go to college. She got a master's degree in education. She played numerous instruments, had a beautiful voice, sang backup with Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers on his first solo album, Her fifth grade choir sang backup for ABBA in concert. I mean, there isn't enough time to list all of these accomplishments. But, you know, most of all, and I know a lot of people say this, but she she really was the best mom in the world. Uh, Well, except for when I decided to go into acting because my drama teacher told me I was so gifted I should pursue it as a career. Uh, even though this was the same drama teacher that told another student of his, Diane Keaton, who won an Academy Award, that she would never make it as an actress. But anyway, (laughs) that's another podcast too. So, So my point is, my mom was always there for me through thick and thin. So, of course, I would be there for her when she needed someone to live with her as her Alzheimer's progressed. And after everything that she had done for me, along with my dad, it it really was the least that I could do. Uh, but Alzheimer's 
is a dreadful disease and you need to have a strong backbone as well as a sense of humor to go through that journey along with your parent. And I, years ago, my hairdresser was telling me a story about when he went to a party where the host's mother had Alzheimer's. And at one point, she poured her martini into her designer cocktail purse. And when someone asked her if she needed to refresh her glass, she said, no, I'm still working on mine. <laughs> and when he told me that, I thought, <laughs> I know. But I thought, oh, he's got to be embellishing. And now I realized that he wasn't. I... I remember one day, this was so endearing, uh, this was during COVID, um, I walked past the dining room and my mom had taken all of the uh, masks that were hanging on the hall tree in the entryway, as well as a huge bottle of hand sanitizer and a can of Lysol, and she made it into a lovely dining room centerpiece. <laughs> Easy access to all that Well, sanit- yeah, exactly. And products. It was... I thought it was a joke. I initially I thought, is my brother here? Because that's something my brother would do. And I, <laughs> I, I took a picture of it and I, I texted it to my sister and I said, look what mom made. And Jackie texted back with like a million emojis that are puzzling and wrote, is this a joke? <laughs> and I just texted back, no. But that was my mom. She had so much style. And she made everything in her horizon full of pop and color and happiness. Just like your dad. Oh, that's sweet. I remember meeting your mom at one of my musicals, and uh, she is delightful. Very delightful woman. And this is, this is difficult. I don't know. I, I feel like something weird happens when you're under the same roof with your parent it's like I find myself at home with my father and the roles have changed sure I'm the child but now I feel like I'm the parent and I know he feels I mean he's even stated such that Mm -hmm. he feels like he's the child now and there's something happening that is inevitable but is something that should be cherished So I put my life on hold and not on purpose. It's just the way I'm wired. And I know logic would tell me that people would say, hey, do your thing, but I can't help myself. And so you have to really work on not falling into old childhood patterns, familial patterns, even when you're as old as we are and our parents are as old as they are. My dad has a brilliant mind, still sharp as a tack. As a 95-year-old, I might add, he's highly educated. He started out in his early career as a speech pathologist and Uh an academician. He taught at the college level. He also ran a clinic at a hospital in Pittsburgh. He was in charge of a clinic in speech pathology. Loved his work and they loved him as well. He met my mom in college in the early 50s they both happened to be performing in the operetta the merry widow oh how cute is that i know my mom was a dancer in the chorus and my dad was i forget if he had a main role or not but 
they fell in love. And after a few years, when the kids came along, he got an offer. He was approached by Marquette University in Wisconsin to get his doctorate degree because he was um, getting a, going for a higher degree in speech pathology. He turned it down. They were going to pay his whole way. To no be, way. Yes. And he turned it down because he thought the winters in Pittsburgh were awful. Well, he certainly didn't want yeah. to be dragging us into Wisconsin winters. So on the flip side of that coin, he followed his brothers west in 1965 to California. And that's where he became an entrepreneur. Finally, after doing all kinds of odds and ends and businesses and jobs, he settled into real estate. And for a period of time, he successfully built custom homes and developed attractive homes in the high desert. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he did really well for himself. He was always an entrepreneur at heart. He even, back at, back in Pittsburgh, back during college, he even had his own ice cream stand in the park. <laughs> Right. He also purchased a parking lot right outside his childhood home for his mother so that she could have some passive income charging people to park at the parking lot because he grew up in poverty. I mean, he was born in the twenties. They went through the depression. He was selling newspapers on the corner at age nine, 10, 11, whatever. And did grocery shopping for old ladies in the neighborhood and did whatever he could in the army. He was the guy that didn't go spend all of his money on the weekends when they had leave. He saved and saved and saved and saved, bought himself a car, paying for it in all cash because he understood the value of hard work and how much you had to work in order to achieve and earn and and buy something and become something. He lost his father when he was only eight years old and he and his three other brothers, four boys, had to work early. They had to learn the value of money very early. And my dad was resourceful and he had kind of a free spirit. He said he calls himself stubborn, very independent minded. His mother would always call him testadora, you know, hard headed. But he determined, I think, from a very young age that he wanted to do things his way and he liked learning new things and he liked discovering new things and I think that's why he became uh, the kind of businessman that he did doing his own thing I I don't think he ever really wanted to have a boss and he always used to tell me and my sister and my brother he would always tell us you are free to do and be in this world whatever floats your boat whatever makes you happy and I really thank my lucky stars that he's my dad he's my hero I nicknamed my dad years later after he came to live with us, I started calling him the Dolly Papa. Oh, that is so cute. Well, you know, it just came to me because his personality is calm. Yeah. He's centered. He is the Dolly Papa. Yes. He's so present. He's always in the moment. He's very quick-witted, very sensitive. He's observant. He brings a smile to everyone's face. He's teaching 70 and 80 year old ladies how to play bridge every week they come over and he gives them bridge lessons he's also a bridge a master bridge player because at 95 he started playing bridge you know in those days they started in college he was like Mm -hmm. 22 or something Mm -hmm. so and he he brings joy to a lot of people his his sarcasm is dry but his wisdom is real and and deep so in the first years when he wanted to live with us, I mean, I thought, I'm so honored. Of course. He, he was like a best friend to me. 
And I really do feel this is a gift. And the funny thing is, as he ages and becomes more fragile, I'm starting to panic about my own life. And it's not his problem. This is all me. But I still have to wrestle with my own feelings. And they're valid. They're very valid. And even though I get down on myself and feel guilty for being frustrated or starting to feel a little bit of resentment, I'm just trying to be real about it. Mm -hmm. And it's a gift, but it can be difficult. Mm -hmm. And and I, I guarantee you, Sue... If he were to listen to this, which he probably will, mm-hmm. he would say to me, what are you doing this? Don't even worry about me. Give, Go live your life. Go do you, et cetera, et cetera. And it's weirdly something I don't want him to say to me. Because then it'll seem like it's like I don't want to do this and it'll seem like I'm ungrateful or an ingrate not wanting to be there or take care of him. And I don't feel like a martyr, certainly not. I just feel weird in a weird place. Yes. It's, it's an interesting stage in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so, you know, we would get together uh, for lunch and talk on the phone. and Yes, we did. Start comparing notes about parental caretaking. And, and, and we thought, well, we're in the same boat, a very large boat after raising our children and now uh, taking care of our parents who don't necessarily want, or in my mom's case, think they need caretaking. And how we manage through this phase of them aging as well as us aging. And so, you know, we thought, well, maybe telling our stories will make us feel better. And maybe other people would feel better after hearing our stories because our stories are the stories of adults all over this country that are taking care of their elderly parent or parents. And maybe perhaps they'll find solace or humor or they won't feel so alone while they're trying to find their way through this sandwich generation that has no roadmap. So, welcome to Sandwiched. 